As you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 38, we're going to see a dramatized version from the New Media Bible of Genesis 38, but they stopped short of the last paragraph, which when you see the last paragraph, you can understand why they didn't want to film that. And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in unto her. And she conceived and bare a son. And he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Kizib when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar his daughter-in-law Remain a widow at thy father's house, till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto his sheep shearers to Timnath, he and his friend Hira the Adullamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep.
she put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath. For she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it her and came in unto her. And she conceived by him. And she arose and went away and laid by her veil from her and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adullamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he found her not. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, let her take it to her lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid and thou hast not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah saying, Tamar thy daughter-in-law hath played the harlot and also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth and let her be burnt. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law. Saying, by the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet and bracelets and staff. And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila, my son. And he knew her again no more.
chapter 37 ends with Jacob's sons selling their younger brother into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. If that's the wholesale price, I wonder what they sold him for in Egypt, the slave traders. And it goes into this story of all things. And they had covered Joseph's coat of many colors with goat's blood and showed his dad, said, you recognize this coat? And of course, it was a unique coat. His dad jumped to the worst possible conclusion. My son is dead, and the brothers allowed the lie to stick. We don't know if Judah's conscience is bothering him, but he gets away from his dysfunctional family and goes to live among the Canaanites of all people, makes friends with a guy named Hira, who's an Adulamite, and he sees there a daughter of a Canaanite whose name was Shua. He marries this girl, we don't know her name, and she bears three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. It wasn't a Shelah. In Australia, girls are called Shelahs. When she had Shelah, they were living at a place called Chezeb, which means deceive or falsified. Isn't that interesting? And so he chooses a wife for his firstborn son when he's old enough to marry, and her name is Tamar. And so Ur and Tamar get married, and Ur does something wicked. We don't know what it is, but God's cup was full. He'd seen enough wickedness. He took him out. So Ur's a dead man. So now, as the custom was, the second-born son would get to be a husband to his sister-in-law. This is called the Leverite law or the Leverite custom. In patriarchal cultures, often this is practiced where women don't have very many rights. And when they get married, their hope is to have a son whose inheritance will take care of her in her older age. So here she is, a widow and childless. So it's only right in the eyes of the law at that time that the second born would take it up. Well, understanding birthright customs, the first born gets the double portion and the other kids get equal portions. So whatever their portion is, the first born gets double of what their portion is. So I think due to greed, Onan doesn't want his older brother to have a child through him. So he does what he can to prevent it and spills his seed on the ground so that his brother wouldn't have an heir, so that there wouldn't be anything to split with this child that would be his, but it would be in the name of his older brother. God sees this, judges him, and kills him. We don't know what Judah knows or doesn't know, but he's not excited about giving Sheila to marry this black widow. And so he promises to when he's of age, but tells her to go live as a widow at her dad's house. So he boots her out. She has to go back home, and now she's a widow, waiting on Sheila to get older. Well, when Sheila's of age, he doesn't follow through on the commitment. She finds out Judah's wife died, 
And so she dresses up like a prostitute would dress at that time and covers her face so he doesn't recognize her. And he propositions her. And they agree on a young goat for the price, but he doesn't have the young goat with him. So she asks for a deposit for an exchange of something valuable that she would hold until he sends the young goat. So he gave her things that would easily be identified as his that were worth value to him. So he sleeps with her. She conceives. He doesn't know it. And when he sends the young goat, his buddy Hira can't find her anywhere. Comes back, we can't find her. And Judah's like, well, let's drop it because this is embarrassing. <laughs> Can you imagine? There's a guy in town looking for a hooker to pay and uh, can't find her. Did you hear about Judah, what he did? You know, let's just drop it, you know, so he would replace the valuables later, I guess. And so then he catches wind three months later that his daughter-in-law has, has played the harlot and is pregnant. And his response is, she needs to be burned. Doesn't see his own sin. So when she's hauled in for their tribunal of sorts, and she presents the three items that are his, he recognizes his wickedness and says, you're more righteous than I. This is a turning point in his life. This is huge. Because now the whole community knows that his grandson, his grandchild, is actually going to be his. He's going to be his own Grandpa. <laughs> Six months later, the child is born, right? So let's go to the last paragraph that they didn't have the guts to film. Verse 27. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold, twins. What a surprise. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand. So the hand comes out of the womb first. And the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, this one came out first. I called my daughter, who's a midwife in Fort Worth at Harris Methodist, and said, do midwives do anything to identify the firstborn twin from the secondborn twin? She says, yes. Uh, once we have done the clamps on their navel cords, the firstborn gets two clamps. That's how we can tell identical twins apart. Well, to their surprise, the hand with the thread on it goes back in the womb, and the next baby comes out, and then comes a baby with the scarlet thread on his hand. The midwife said this. Maybe Tamar, those of you who are biblical scholars, you can figure out this riddle. His brother came out, Verse 29, his brother came out unexpectedly. Can we say unexpected? And she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. This is a different kind of breach birth. <laughs> Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Perez means to break through. Zerah means to shine or to arise. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us today from your word in such a way that we would see Jesus more clearly and we would be encouraged 
especially those of us that are facing life's difficult trials in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you on the subject, unexpected breakthrough. If you're new here, we're going through Genesis chapter by chapter, looking at the roots of the gospel and seeing how this book connects to Jesus. Why? Well, the early church didn't have the New Testament to preach from. They had the Torah, the prophets, and the books of history and poetry from what we call the Old Testament or the First Testament. So they no doubt preach these things. So we're rediscovering the gospel through the lens of Moses, prophetic pictures. Unexpected breakthrough is something the gospel can produce in your life and my life. And it, what happened here? Judah lost two sons, and through his wickedness and God forgiving him and restoring him, he's now blessed with two sons. Isn't that amazing? Tamar had no sons. Now she has two. <laughs> so it's awesome. Judah still has three sons. And these two boys are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus came through Perez, but Zerah is listed. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Unexpected breakthrough. We're going to start with some questions, six questions. When could these things have occurred? All right, we just heard about Joseph, and now here's this interruption. So when did this happen? Why digress from Joseph to this sordid story? How could Jacob's family be so wicked? Can we say wicked? Who is this Judas person anyway to us? Where can we find Jesus in this mess? Better question, where can we find Messiah in our messes? And what can we hope for when we are struggling? Either self-imposed struggle like ourselves or circumstantial things that come from life or from other people's sins. When could these things have occurred? Happening during Joseph's young adulthood, this is a meanwhile back at the ranch story. Joseph was enslaved at 17, and 13 years later he's freed from slavery and his prison. From prison to palace, literally. Plus, there was the next seven years of plenty, so that's 20 years. And then the starting years of the famine, at least two years, is about 22 years for this story to have taken place. And what happened after 22 years? Joseph would see his brothers again. And Judah, who had departed from his brothers, came back home to them. So this story changed his heart. He was getting out of Canaanite land, going back there to be for dad, even though they never, there's no record that they ever told their dad what they had done. And Joseph didn't uncover them. Isn't that interesting? Why digress from Joseph? We got the Joseph story going. What is this doing in the Bible? Well, unlike the world's history books that for centuries has been whitewashing things, this is part of the problem in our culture. People are finding out the truth about our heroes that was hidden. Our forefathers hid that stuff. And now we've got problems. People are horrified. Well, the Bible from day one tells all the gory details. God sends redemption to nasty people. 
There is hope for me. Why digress from Joseph to this sordid story? It communicates how Judah's very wicked heart was changed. He went down to that place. And in that story, he realized this widow, twice widowed, had been neglected by him. He's not justifying her wickedness, but he sees that he's actually the more wicked party in this scenario. Put her in a vulnerable position. Wasn't a man of his word. Probably his own words came back to him. Remember in chapter 34 when they slaughtered all the men in Shechem for treating their sister like a prostitute, which they hadn't? The mayor's son had forced himself on their sister. So his unrighteousness just came flying back in his face. and So no wonder he did go back home. How could Jacob's family be so wicked? Now pay attention. You're getting into some theology here that you may not have thought of before. Since God's righteous laws were not fully revealed to anyone, people were held accountable for what they knew and learned from experience. There's natural law that we're born knowing, and there's things that God revealed to Abraham and his children. And so there's also, though, the sins of the fathers passed down to the children. God said it would happen to the fourth generation. He told Moses that later. So this is Jacob's wickedness coming to roost (laughs) through Judah. But from these experiences, they learn not to live like that, right? Now we have stories to teach us, so we have no excuse. Over 400 years later, Moses brings the law. Over 613 laws of every kind, dealing with every aspect of life and society. They didn't know all this. But here's the fact about the law. By The deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. If you don't know it's against the law, is it sin? Well, in our culture, if it's a law, whether you know it or not, and you break it, you're going to bear the consequences. So in this story, no one knows the full law of God. And so... That's one reason why they could be so wicked. All right, along this same vein, uh, Romans hits it a couple other times. Chapter 4 says, For where there is no law, there is no transgression. If you don't tell your child to do the dishes, you better not spank him for not doing the dishes. That's not fair. And our government gets into some of this retroactive stuff. It's really unjust. Chapter 5.13 says, Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So that should help you see Jacob's family in a little better light. Chapter 7, verse 7 of Romans, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. You understand that? So the law doesn't make you righteous, but the law exposes your unrighteousness. I didn't know not to covet until the law told me not to covet. 
Does that make sense? Not rocket science, but sometimes it's things we don't think about. We look at this story retroactively. This happened before any of the other books of the Bible happened. So God's revelation is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Why didn't he just give Adam and Eve 613 laws to begin with? Man, they couldn't keep one. (laughs) People are rebellious. They just are. So redemptive history is God is bringing the human race along a trail through history, and we're following some of it in Genesis, to lead us to our need for a Redeemer. And Christ came to save those who couldn't keep the whole law, which is everybody. Paul told those wise people in Athens of Greece in Acts 17, he says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. I think the old King James says, God winked at. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. So don't go looking for an opportunity to to proposition somebody because Judah did. He bore the consequences for it. We have no excuse. In fact, it's against the law to proposition anybody in this country. You wind up in jail. Who is this Judah person to us? Why digress from Joseph and focus on Judah? Which in Greek is Judas. Did you know that? Here's why he's so important. He would be in the genealogy of the Messiah on both sides with Tamar and Perez. Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah. Look at that. Both Zerah gets listed there by Tamar. There's Tamar's name. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Abinadab, Abinadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Uh-oh. Now she was a prostitute for a living. From Jericho, the Lord redeemed her. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Uh Uh-oh, there's a Moabite. You know how the Moabites came to be? That's the story of Lot getting drunk with his daughters. The Moabites and the Ammonites. But she was redeemed. And Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. So Ruth was David's grandma, and Rahab was David's great-grandma. This is amazing. It goes on. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Uh oh. That's Sheba. Now, this genealogy continues for generations, concluding with Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, the son of a man who happens to be named Jacob. The genealogy of Jesus recorded in Luke 3 ends with Adam, but begins with Joseph as being the son of Haley, not the son of Jacob. What does that mean? It means that Joseph was a son-in-law of Haley. 
thus making the genealogy in Luke 3 the genealogy of Mary. Going backwards, Luke's genealogy differs from Matthew's until it gets to King David, and then it's the same. Mary descended from his son Nathan rather than Solomon, and Nathan was also a son of Bathsheba, including the forefathers who were husbands of infamous women like Ruth the Moabite, Rahab the former harlot, as well as Judah the father of Tamar's son, Perez and Zerah. And Judah himself was Leah's son, the rejected wife. God's redeeming hand moves through history. Talk about breaking through difficulties of life caused by us or against us to bring us redemption, to free us from shame. He carried our shame. Where can we find Messiah in our messes? Where is Jesus in this story? He's in that genealogy. He can be found whenever and wherever we need him most. Whoever, whenever, wherever, because whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need salvation, you can be saved whenever and wherever you need him the most because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isaiah 53 says, He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He interceded for the transgressors on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was numbered. Here's the most righteous human being, the God-man Christ Jesus that ever lived, who's numbered with the transgressors. And he quotes that. For I say to you, in Luke 22, that which is written must still be accomplished in me. Quote, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Where does this numbering start? Well, it starts with his genealogy and ends with the cross. Mark 15. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. No good thieves. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, he was numbered with the transgressors. Are you glad about it? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What can we hope for when we are struggling? What can we hope for? In spite of all our regrets and life's many difficult circumstances, Almighty God is able to redeem every situation according to His will and in His timing. Here's the redemption. Here's a story. It came to pass at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread, bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, How did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Brother was named Zerah. 
talking about unexpected breakthrough. Just as God can break into a sinful situation and bring blessing without damaging his name, but establishing his name as being most merciful, his mercy endures forever. Psalm 137, 30 something says that, I think over 20 times, his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Hebrews says, so that he might be a more faithful high priest and merciful high priest, he tasted of the human experience. So he already has mercy that endures forever. But then by becoming one of us, he knows what it feels like to be human, not just by omniscience, superior knowledge, but by experience. Therefore, we're able to go boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need, for he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses and struggles. Have you ever vented to somebody and just poured out all your sorrows to them, and then the next day you wake up, why did I do that? You want to cut that out in your life? That happens frequently. You can cut that out. Go boldly to the throne of grace and let God have it. Tell him how you feel. Cry out to him. He can identify with you and I. I want to end the service with praying for this baby. As Amber shared with us earlier, this is Gabriella. I'm going to call her Ella. I'm not going to call her Gabby. Gabriella Anna Willis, the child of our own Chris and Emily Willis, born at 24 weeks but the size of 22 weeks. To give you perception, this is Chris's wedding ring on her wrist. Sometimes problems break through our plans and interrupt us. Unexpected things happen are not always good, right? So the Willis family has had an unexpected timing, the birth of this baby. And I told him we were going to do this today. He said, well, can you have him pray for her liver? The, the liver numbers yesterday were not what they wanted them to be. So if we could stand and take our time with this, Form groups of three or four, any more than five or six, it'll take too long. But form prayer circles. If you're not comfortable with doing this, it's fine. Just somebody tries to get you in the group, just say not today. <laughs> and pray for this child, but also pray for the needs that are in your group. Can you do that? So I guess introduce yourselves to one another and say, do you have any needs before we pray for Gabriella? And uh, let's just do it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. Never stop working. We make a miracle work. Promise keeper, hide in the darkness, my God. 
Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to be a part of Ella Gabriella's story by praying over her today. Isn't that wonderful? We want to share a little bit about how her name came about. The Lord laid it on Chris and Emily's heart to call the baby Ella, which in Italian means pretty, like Bella. Little did they know that they would be going through this situation. And during the trial, you have a seat. During the trial that they've walked through, Marietta and Greg Harold shared a story about their um, great grandnephew, who was also born at one pound point seven five ounces. And they prayed over him. The baby was not given a name because the baby was just expected to die for the first four hours of his life, but it kept breathing and a nurse kept going in and out of the room saying, I think this baby is going to live. This baby does not want to die. And so they got the parents and the parents began to speak over the baby and pray over the baby. And Greg and Marietta also did the same and they felt led to call the baby. The baby didn't have a name. Uh, and the baby's name today is Silas. But they felt led to call the baby Ga Gabriel, representing the angel of God, which also means God is my strength. And it also means messenger of the Lord. So after I relived that story with them, the Lord laid it on my heart to do a little research on the word Gabriel. And I read that it meant God is my strength and also messenger of God. And I thought, what are the odds that they would be, they would call the baby Ella, but the female name of Gabriel is Gabriella. Let that sink in a minute. Gabriella. So now this child is not only pretty, but this child has the breath of God and the strength of God pouring through her, and we declared that the breath of God would breathe through Gabriella. So when we found out that she came out crying and breathing, the doctors were totally blown away. We believe that it was the breath of God, yes, that is restoring this baby. And also part of the prophetic word that we shared with her, I said, I feel like you need to call this baby Gabriella. You, don't, you can still call her Ella, but on her birth certificate, let it be Gabriella because she is a sign and a wonder from the Lord. God is her strength. And this, here's the prophetic word that she would be a messenger of God going forward. And I think she's already that. Yes. In Jesus' name. I also felt led to share with them that when Abraham, Abram, was named by his family, that God came and changed his name to Abraham, H, meaning the breath of God. And then Sarah was named Sarai by her family, and God came back and changed her name to Sarah, adding the H, meaning the breath of God, giving her the ability to have a baby after 90 years old. And so I told them, if you add H to Gabriella, ha, it is the breath of God on that baby's life. And that is how her name, Gabriella with an H, 
has come to be. And we speak life. We continue to declare the breath of God over this baby. And we pray that as her life grows, that she will indeed be a messenger of God. Mr. English, you are assigned. You are what's going to happen. People are going to come here to this place from all over the United States, all over the world. They're going to sense the Spirit of God for the first time. They're going to be called into the kingdom. They're going to be baptized in the Spirit. So he's a precursor to a long prophecy that's been in this church for many, many years. And I just wanted to thank you for being bold, getting baptized, identifying yourself with the name of Christ in this body. And I wanted to thank you for being a sign of things to come, brother. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you his peace. Thank you, Lord, for sending people here from California and beyond. Send more, Lord. May we be friendly, loving, embracing, and ministering. And thank you, Lord, for Gabriella Anna Willis. Give you all the praise and glory. Amen. Go get them, tigers. <laughs>